Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Robert. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach, and owner of James Robert Fitness. You can find more of my content by going to my website, fitamputee.co.uk. But before we get started with today's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners. And if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Deshaun Fonteroy. He is a sports performance coach and the host of the Sports Mastery Podcast that helps individuals and groups reach their hopes and dreams, overcoming their pain and fears and destroying all barriers and limitations. He has worked with high school, college and professional athletes through practical and systematic strategies Deshaun helps athletes master their confidence, strengthen their mental toughness, increase their social intelligence, and achieve their goals. So welcome on to the show, Deshaun. Uh, James, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to set this up and have me on the Mindset Game podcast. You know, um, again, um, I, I hopefully I'm able to deliver some great information for your audience. So before we delve into today's topic, Deshaun, can you talk about, uh, obviously, your background and how you came to become a performance coach and how you came about setting up your podcast? Okay, um, I've, I've been playing sports all my life. I started playing contact football at six years old, played through high school, played college, played uh, a little semi-pro football here in the States, and I played on two different uh, arena teams here in the U.S., and one of my limiting factors was uh, from a physical standpoint was always my speed. You know, outside of that, what held me back was the things that I was doing socially, you know, from not having mentors, you know, partying, um, dating, doing recreational drugs. And, you know, I got to a certain level to where I, find, I signed a few small uh, professional contracts, but I never got a chance to reach my potential. So once I got in, I always knew that I wanted to coach. And I got into the uh, the fitness industry as a personal trainer. And I've worked all up and down the fitness industry from sales manager to fitness manager to club manager. But my love really was for working with athletes. So I transitioned into sports performance probably about 10 years ago, you know, where I love working with uh, middle school, high school and collegiate athletes. I work with a handful of professionals. But what I like to teach is the things that I that I wasn't good at or the things that I didn't have. So within the sports training, I met a gentleman that had played in the NFL. His career was shortened due to a, to a shoulder injury. And he became a firefighter after that. And he would train athletes still, and he would have a mental toughness uh, camp every summer. And there were, there was somewhere in between him being a firefighter and his mental toughness camps. He started a podcast and he interviewed me on his podcast. And from his podcast, I got some business from his podcast. And that inspired me. I'm always looking for new ways to market myself or present myself. And he kind of convinced me to do that because he was the first person that I really known to say, hey, I don't care how much training we do. If they don't have it on the mental side, they're not going to succeed at the next level. And it was an awkward moment. I remember the day he explained that to me. And I, I just thought that it was weird 
But about a year and a half later, I received an athlete that was in a tough social situation that was considering transferring schools and he was having a hard time. And his parents trusted me to guide him through that situation. And he ended up being successful because of that. And it was at that point that I started reading all the books on psychology, sports performance, peak performance, mental toughness, goal setting. And I had to literally work with this kid from week to week. And sometimes it would just be me writing down notes on scratch paper and us setting goals for the week. And eventually those notes turned into a Word document. And the Word document was my workbook, The Science of Sports Mastery. So the workbook was first and the podcast was later. And obviously in the intro, we we talked about increasing your social intelligence. Can you describe what that actually is? Yes. um, On its most simplest level, it's the things that you can do socially that can enhance or impede your success. And within that, you know, you have things like simply things like empathy, you know, understanding like the feelings of others and those around you. And then from there, are you an effective listener to put you in the right decision, you know, or being able to listen to your coach or being able to listen to your teammates, you know, and outside of that is, you know, you have to be accurate with understanding like the feelings of others, you know, from there, it, it really comes down to like social intelligence, you know, we're, we're human beings, right? So essentially we're, we're you have basic I was the nine areas of human activity would be labor, law, politics, education, entertainment. Uh, I might be forgetting a few sex, religion, war. You know, those are the nine simple areas of human activity. And normally, you know, you see this in the media. People fail because of their interaction one way or the other with the with the people around them or things that they do to others on on a social level. So bringing that back to the student athlete, having social intelligence, you know, one, you have to have grades, you know, to just to perform, to be out there to practice and perform. But, you know, I explained to my kids, you know, education really isn't that difficult. All you have to do is apply yourself. And what I mean by that, you're an athlete, you know, you've been a high, a high level athlete and you get stigmatized, you get stereotyped, you know, and, Sometimes, you know, people will stereotype you for being a person of color, you know, on a college campus. So I explained to my kids, and this is all kids, it doesn't matter really what ethnicity you're from, because athletes, they get stereotyped and stigmatized. But I encourage my kids to always sit up front on a social level, sit your butt up front. And throughout every class, raise your hand at least once, even if you know the answer. And within the term, I want you to meet with your instructor two to three times throughout the term, you know, and that first meeting is what is it going to take to get an A out of your class, you know, and just them doing those three things on the social level, it's almost impossible to fail a class, you know, and they often get, it's like really impossible to get anything lower than a C, you know, but that social intelligence, you know, on an academic level, as far as showing up every day looking the part, not wearing sweats or tank tops to class. If you're going to wear jeans, wear a polo shirt or wear your khakis buttoned down, you know, may, maybe some uh, some soft-heeled loafers or whatever, but really looking the part from an academic standpoint. So when it comes times, if you're in between like uh, a B plus and an A, you get the A. 
or if you're in between, if you're struggling and they see that you've really been working in a, in a tough class, maybe it could be a, a biology class or a statistics class and you're borderline C and the D, then you get the C because they see that you really put in the effort, you were respectful, you never missed a class. So those are the things that play into a, uh, an athlete's favor on a social and a psychological level, you know, and we've seen kids do the opposite to where, you know, they show up to class, they're sitting in back, they're always joking, they might have their phone, you know, or just generally being disruptive, and then they want to cry, cry, whine, and complain when they get the D or the F. And it's the same, you know, in the team dynamic, you know, the kid, the kid that jokes, he might have talent, but he's not a leader on the field because he likes to joke, he likes to play, and then when he doesn't get his way or when it's time, you know, to compete, he's on second or third team. And then that player is whining, complaining, and defending, you know, the actions that were not appropriate, you know, to put him in a position to be successful. But Deshaun, coming back to the empathy point that you brought up earlier, would you not agree that from a sporting context, we aren't the best at it anyway, because if you want to succeed, so to speak, you have to have that kind of doggy dog kind of instinct. So you have to have some degree of not having empathy towards somebody else. I, I, I would, I would agree with that a hundred percent, but at a certain point, you know, to be successful, you have to have the respect of your teammates. And you have to figure out ways to do that. And sometimes, and what I teach my athletes, I'm glad you said this, like conflict is good. You know, in our society, we get taught that conflict is bad. We have to have some disagreements at some point to gel, but it, it's how we look at conflict. Most of the time, we've been taught to look at conflict as a negative, but it can be a positive. It just depends on how you decide to approach it you know, by having a conversation with a teammate or having a, uh, with a difficult teammate or with a coach that you feel that doesn't like you. That happens because coaches have their agenda too. But that's why I, I always encourage my athletes and parents, you know, at the youth and high school level to really get to know their coaches. So then you can understand why they might talk a certain way or why they might think a certain way. And then us as athletes, we have to be able to adjust because it's not going to always go our way, but it, it's really, you know, and, and, it, and it's tough for coaches. And this is the same for coaches. They have to be willing to get to know their student athletes at a deeper level and be willing to get to know the parents of the athletes to understand, you know, why they behave a certain way. So you can, uh, you, you really get to the point of, getting to know your players so you can pull the best out of them and understand their situations and their dynamics because you could have two athletes at the same place. One can come from an affluent background and one can come from a lower economic background. And maybe the kid with the affluent background, the, the, you know, it could be, it could be marital struggles going on. You know, the kid at the lower economic, at the north, coming from the lower economic background, maybe the dad's not in the picture. You know, and in states, you know, uh, you see these things happen. And then both athletes can be performing at a level that's subpar. And normally it's something that's going on at home or not going on. But coming back to that point that you raised about the, the coaching not liking the athlete, I think it probably goes to a little bit of a deeper level because um, I think 
well, as an adult, you know anyway that there's going to be times that people don't like you, you have disagreements, you don't like the other person. I think, I think teenagers are more inclined to psychologically favor, you know, that acceptance. So, so they probably have found it more difficult to come to terms with people per- perceiving that they're out to get them. Whereas at times it's probably the, like you said, it's the, the language that's being used. It's, it's not, we're not coming out to get you, but you need to have that realization that there is going to be conflict in the world that you, you can't like everybody hundred percent of the time. Well, I, I like to explain to the athletes, it's, it's not so much, you might feel that the coach doesn't like you, but let, let's put it in a different context. We're dealing, you could be dealing with a difficult situation or what you think is a difficult coach, but how do you combat that? Or can you be the, the, the young man or the young woman that shows up to practice 30 to 40 minutes before every day? Can you be the young man the young man or young woman that stays after for 15 to 20 minutes every day. Can you be that individual that can go to this coach and say, coach, I'm struggling. What is it going to take for me to get better? Where you exhaust, you know, all of your remedies before you make a false conclusion, you know? So a lot of times it comes back to find, finding out, and, and this word, the, the social and, and emotional intelligence comes in, when is it best to approach my coach to have a conversation? It's not the best time to approach a coach after a game. This is definitely to parents. It is definitely not a good idea. And what I've seen in my experience, a coach might genuinely, you know, really want to help a kid, but the kid can be put in harm's way, so to speak, from the actions that the parents take being the heckling parent at games, being the first to call after the game, giving the coach a hard time, and then the coach inadvertently takes that out on the athlete by not playing him or playing him less or only when they need him or her. So the parents the parents have a lot of say in how they choose to interact with the coach, and we want to be able to do this as a pop, on, a, on a positive level as much as possible. And the only way we can do that is by getting to understand each other. And sometimes the student athlete has to take the first step. Sometimes the, you know, the parent has to take the first step because coaches, you know, depending on what level you're at, they have families too, you know? So it's, it's like, I never buy into a coach that says, I'm going to treat your kid just like my own. And if you have like 50 kids on the team, it's just impossible to do. You know, I get they they say that and it's a cliche, but those are the that's one of the first things that raises my eyebrow. You know, especially if we're talking about at a collegiate level over here, that's impossible to do. You know, that might not be a good fit. We want we want to hear the truth. You know, would, would you say that's more of a, a selling tool and more of a recruitment tool that I'm going to treat you like my own? It, it is a selling tool. We we've talked about this a lot as far as like coaches being high end. You know, to a degree car salesman or just salesman in general, that's what their job is. And we, we literally discuss that. And that, that when, it, when it gets to the recruiting process, that's when we have to ask the tough questions. If, if you're an African-American individual and you're going to a school in Wyoming, well, who do I have to talk to if I'm in Walmart or if I'm in McDonald's and if I hear the N-word three or four times and I know it's directed at me, who do I have to talk to? How do I deal with this? And, you know, I've, I've talked to parents, I've talked to coaches like what, 
if, if he's feeling this way when he gets to school and he's put in a certain environment, who does he have to talk to so he doesn't lash out and forfeit his education by doing something silly and getting kicked off the team? Because we have to have, you know, um, certain dynamics or parameters in place for the kids to where they can go event uh, emotionally and talk to somebody. You know, if that's not there, that's going to be tough for the student athlete, you know, inside of the classroom and, and in competition. That's that's a great point that you raised, Deshaun, because that's something I didn't even think about. But obviously, the higher the caliber of the athlete, they're going to try and stay at home. So when it comes to the black athlete, predominantly they're going to stay in the southern states. Or is that more of a stereotype? Um, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know how to answer that. I I know um, from a football standpoint, American football standpoint, in, down in the South, they play some of the best football. So, like understanding that dynamic, you know, being able if you're from like a Alabama, a Tennessee, a Georgia, or a Florida, there's no really reason to leave because you play in one of the, probably the top conference in the country. So. All of, all of those kids are aspiring to play in, you know, the Southeastern Conference, you know. So I, I could say that, you know. But if you're a kid coming from California, you know, you have to you have to prepare yourself in advance to you kind of going to a different culture, mm. you know. And we want to we want to prepare you for that culture once you get there, and that and that and that's the culture of the community, the culture that the players come from, how they talk how they treat each other, talk to each other in the locker room, how they joke with each other, you know, because sometimes you can be in the locker room, you know, guys, we can joke, but then one person might take it offensive. And because maybe it's like the guy joking didn't get a chance to get to know him or this person is just taking it too personally. And then the next thing you know, you have a, a, a tussle or a rumble and a tumble in the locker room. And it happens from time to time, you know, but then how do you resolve it? But Deshaun, when that, that arises, do you think it comes down to the world that we're living in today that the kids can't differentiate between somebody taking it too far and it just being a laugh and a joke? Whereas if you take it back a few decades, do you think people were more thick-skinned and be able to take it on the chin? I, I, I think in, in today's uh, climate, we're, we're definitely, the, the skin is not as thick, it's definitely thinner. And what I mean by that is just, you know, us collectively, collectively as a human race or, or in certain geographical areas, we're just more insecure about every, everything, you know, and, you know, from a sporting standpoint, a person can be insecure about his game, you know, and that insecurity might come from a fear you know, or it might come from what another coach has told them or what another parent has told them where I've worked with kids and I've, I've seen parents sitting on the side trying to coach the kid where kid is actually doing good. Parent is putting too much expectation on the kid and then is criticizing the kid at the same time where you could get done with the training session or see the father talking to the son. And it's like the son's eyes is glazed over. It's watering because he's hurt. You know, and there's that combination of hurt and anger going on at the same time. And it's like if, if, if simple things like that, you know, 
aren't resolved, it carries on with you. And we have to be able to work through like our insecurities, our fears, what, 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 uh, what angers us, what brings out anxiety, what do we worry over? And a lot of times is if like there's a flaw in your game, it's just something that we have to work on. Like for instance, my thing was always speed. I was, uh, I played a running back and my speed was average at best. You know, I was terrible you know, at times, because I never run track, but I played football, I had a good sense of the sport, you know, um, I was a hard worker, I never made mistakes, but when it came to going to higher levels, the linear speed just wasn't there, you know, and I got, I got confidence from that, from, you know, working out with the track team, you know, at one of the colleges that I attended, and I seen, you know, just four months working with the track team, you know, it helped my speed tremendously, but being out there every day, I had to force myself because if it's just like a soccer player or rugby athlete, you go train with 100 and 200 meter sprinters. They're going to, it's going to be difficult or appear to be difficult because they like, they leave you standing still. But if you keep going every day, you know, you see your stride gets better. The coach begins to say, you, you know, you, you can see like the gains. And that helps bring confidence, you know. So for me, it was just like I, I just had to bear with it and go out there and keep doing it. And I, I found that in other aspects of my life. Every time I do a podcast, I have a little bit of like pre, pre-game anxiety. But I know that it's something that I have to do. Once we get started, you start to get comfortable and it's, it just starts to flow. And it's the same in other areas of life. But in hindsight now, Deshaun, do you wish you to implement it? that at a high school level yes you know and it's funny you mentioned that the problem was is that I played baseball and here baseball and track and field is it's in they're both in the spring and I and I was actually pretty good at baseball however I was better at football and and one thing I can tell you if I was to do it over again I would have stopped playing baseball in high school and I would have just ran track because I knew 100% that I was going to go to college and play football. And that's the interesting thing because I didn't have a mentor or somebody that had been to the next level who has, uh, so to speak, been through that field of landmines that could say, you know what, stop. If you keep playing baseball, it's going to harm you because you're not using this time to get faster for collegiate level where speed really counts. And as you know, speed kills in most sports. You know, so one of the things like when I started training athletes, a lot of it, it was it was it was I guess you could say it was kind of selfish because I wanted to train athletes. I, I didn't want them to have the deficiencies that I had. And it was speed. You know, my strength training was based around strength training to get you faster, plyometrics to get you faster you know, doing all the mobility work and just finding like track and field coaches that, that became my mentor, some at the high school level and one at the collegiate level, you know, that really enhanced my sports performance as far as like getting guys faster for the short sprints, 100, 200 meter sprints, and definitely for football. Do you, do you think if you'd have improved your agility and your side, get like get bigger and stronger, do you think that would have had a detrimental effect at the next level? It could have been, it, it, you know, that, that's a good question. At, at, if I would have got any bigger 
with what I know now, when you're working on size, you definitely have to be doing mobility at the same time of, of the hips, the ankles, the shoulders, so you don't get tight, so you can remain fluid, you can remain agile. So it, it's like what I tell people, you have to be, if you're doing strength training, you have to have some, agil- some agility in there in the dynamic warm-up when you complete the warm-up or just some agility days. I'm, I'm really huge on hip mobility and shoulder mobility because putting on size, the last thing you want to do is tighten up, you know, to where your game becomes restricted. You know, so even working on a linear speed is one thing, but then you still have to work on agility also because football, you know, like soccer or rugby, they're multi-directional sports. And if we kind of talk about going on to the next level when you went into arena football, obviously for the people that don't know, the size is massively smaller than uh, that of an American football pitch. But does speed play an even more important role in that arena? Um, the best way that I can answer that is it, it, it looks different. Like if you've never played like indoor football, because it's a 50 yard field, the game is really quick. You know, it, it's, it's really taxing, you know, until you play two or three games and adjust to like the pace and the speed of the game, because you can go out and score a touchdown, kick the ball, and then there's an intercept interception or a fumble, and then you're back on the field. But once once I got out there and you start playing, it's, it's like the feeling is the same as 11-man football. You know, there's there's really no difference. And most, from in my personal experience, you had guys that were maybe undersized, maybe didn't have the speed to play at the next level, or maybe they got in trouble, you know, so there's a physical component, but then there's the social or psychological component why you see certain guys there, or some guys, that's just their highest potential, mm-hmm. you know, so that that was my experience playing it, and I enjoyed it, but those are some of the things that I reflect upon, because I you I played against some guys that were Division One has-beens, and I remember at the time hearing about their story, you know, when you see guys that should have been in the NFL. And then you see guys that they do bounce to the NFL. It, it, it happens. It's not a lot, but it does happen for sure. But what, but, but at the end of the day, Deshaun, it's still for people in Europe, it's still a professional league. So it's, yes, to some degree you've still made it. I, I, I enjoyed the experience and, and you, you're, you're right. A hundred percent because once you get there, the, the preparation is the same throughout the week. You're, you're, you're going to have, you know, practices throughout the week in the morning or in the afternoon, sometimes twice. You're still going to go lift your weights. You're going to, you know, watch anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours of film every day. You know, so it, it is, it, I mean, we signed a tr- contract. We did get paid for it. And I, I was thankful and blessed for that because I, I still can share that experience with my athletes today and definitely going into the future and we kind of take a step back now and then we look at the college well what the kind of landscape is on now and you talk about the workload that that the football player has to undertake on top of his academics do you think we've come to an era that that the, the athletes need to start being paid that's hard for me to to discuss you know, one one thing I, I, I can say is it is what it is now, 
So if you're a student athlete, what I encourage my athletes, like we have to know what we're going to major in before we step foot on that college campus, because we don't want to waste any time. You know, I want you to get as close as to your degree as possible or get your degree by the time you're four or five years are up. Because after that, you're going to be spit out into the real world. And if you were number 20, somebody else is going to be number 20 the next day. You know, so it, the, it, it's like whether you get in trouble or whether you graduate, somebody else is going to come in and fill your shoes because you're dealing with the machine. Now, when you talk about like uh, the school, the workload, one of the things that I always discuss with my athletes is the difference between stress and pressure. And, you know, stress is all those things that take up your time, your energy and money, you know, like you have to go to school, you know, you're going to have practice, you're going to have probably two hours of study hall after that, then you're going to have dinner, and then you're going to probably go back to the computer lab and do some more work, you know, to get a paper ready and probably have to be up, <clears throat> excuse me, at five in the morning for a morning workout, depending on if you're in the off season, preseason, you know. So I get them ready for that, and we have to throw a lot at them to get them prepared for it. And if, you, and if you're not ready for that stress, that's when you see kids fail, they get in trouble, and they, they, they're not able to distinguish the difference. You know, where you really, once you get to a certain level on the academic side, you have to understand the stressors, the stressors and the, the time that's involved for you to be successful. And you have to handle your business inside of the classroom and outside of the classroom because you have to find time to study and you have to have the mindset to study when you're completely exhausted. How do you do that? But you know? Deshaun, is the system that you've implemented, is it a system that you've taken away from sports, be it that of periodization, where from a sporting perspective, everything is regimented have you kind of instilled with the kids to transfer that over to their academics, be it obviously at the collegiate level, there is going to be that the this kind of systematic um, things put in place where there is due dates anyway. So you kind of can t tally the two together. Well, we, you know, we, we explain, or I explain to my athletes that the, the same effort and energy that you put into athletics to be successful, you have to put that same energy into your academics. And at the high school level, you know, it might require having a tutor, you know, it might require getting help. And what I tell kids over here, the 4.0, most of the 4.0 kids in certain places, they have tutors where it's, it's like a natural thing. It's expected. You know, it, it's a part of the process where some of us have been taught that if I have a tutor, I must be dumb, silly or stupid. So we look at that a certain way. When you look at 4.0 kids, they have tutors, they have help. And, and that that's how you get to a certain point. It's just like having a coach, you know, like if you have a sprint coach or a weightlifting coach or a personal trainer, you have your trainer for your academics, you know, or your SAT prep or ACT prep, or the co whatever college ex entrance exams. Well, maybe from an athlete perspective, maybe use a different terminology for what are you having invested in you. It's probably the best yeah. way to do it. Then, then there's, yeah. you're not getting, so to speak, stigmatized by your peers. 
Mm-hmm. And, and what and what and, and that goes back to you know to what I was saying earlier is that the student athlete this is what makes coaching and mentorship so important so we can explain these dynamics and let kids know this is normal and if if you're worried about you know your peers joking with you they probably aren't your friends in the first place because you know being a high level athlete once you start climbing that ladder it gets kind of lonely you know, and you have to find people that you can talk to at that level or that has been there at that level that that can keep giving you that can keep sharing their experiences or sharing their insight, you know, because the better the better we get, you know, the uh, there's it, it starts to lessen, you know, as far as the people that you can take with you. Well, I'd agree with that sentiment, Sean. I think for me, when I'd reached kind of the top of the mountain, so to speak, I was at the collegiate level, so I could talk to professors uh, and whatnot in in the in the well, not the best in the field, but within that field of sports. Um, sport mostly it was sports psychology. It was trying to get off my chest whatever I, I have, have been going on, and that's probably the best person to speak to in in that environment at the university level. I mean that 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 that's beautiful for you for having the ability to do that because it's almost like you had a free coach, you know. You you didn't have to go hire or 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 purchase a service when when you're there. You know that that that's a good idea. I, I think you know the 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 student athletes, the parents listening to this, especially if you have kids at the collegiate level, it's like you could literally go talk to the psychology professor with things that you're struggling with, you know. Well, I, was, I wouldn't say it was for free. I was still paying for my education. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, was, I was probably uh, utilizing it in a different way, be it from uh, a sporting context as opposed to an academic one. I would, I would say my peers on, on the degree probably did it for a certain extent, be it maybe more so for the academic standpoint. I probably used... I probably use the sport and the academics hand in hand. The the, the sport I used as uh, actual real life real life evidence for when I'm having to do coursework, and then using what I was learning in the classroom to implement back into the real world. Yeah, I see, and and that's one of the things that we talk about in terms of social social intelligence, where you found an avenue, something that you could take advantage of that can benefit that could benefit you or enhance your success without it putting a strain on you, and you saw how it could help you. But I think coming back to that one, you you were saying about the kids need to have a plan in place what they want to study before they go. Is that not becoming more difficult for kids nowadays, though? I would I would say that it, it can appear to be difficult with the age and times that we live in and then all of the distractions that we have and then the lack of uh, guys like me and you, you know, as far as being a coach that can not only help you from a performance side, but that can that really cares about you as a person and cares about you about having a life after sports and what what a lot of the kids get is like nobody's really talking about life after sports, you know. So th- I think that is what's going, you know, to help guides help guide kids further into the future. We have to talk about these things now. What if you tear up your ACL, you know, or you know, what what if you break your ankle or something like that, or fracture your hip and you're and you're not the same. 
what what what's life going to look like after that and being able to figure out you know the things that they're naturally inclined to you know and you know i, I work with some athletes they're exceptional math students and i'm like your major might be engineering because you like numbers you know and you you like to draw you know and and just giving them ideas throwing things at them but i'm like you know, if you're a junior now, you'll be a junior this fall. So we, we kind of have like another 18 months to two years to decide on what you want to study. If it's, if it's exercise science, I always encourage my kids to, you know, let's get a master's, you know, versus a bachelor's. And then if you feel like you want to go further, maybe you can get a PhD in this as far as going into that field. But then, Sean, would you not agree it's going to be – it's very difficult for an athlete – at that age, to differentiate between, obviously, they're going there as an athlete, so to speak, first, they perceive it, some of them, whereas the, the institution might not be as good academically. So what do you kind of instill with that person there? And then because there's obviously you've got a first choice for where you want to be, I don't know, say for, if you use the example in football, say Florida, Alabama and things of that nature. Whereas that might not be the best educationally for the um, degree that you want to study. You know, my, my, my opinion on that is that it, the, the school could be mediocre. It, it depends on how the school is marketed, how the school is branded. But if you're going to further your education, you could do your master's somewhere else. You can get a master's degree. Like I have a friend, he's an engineer, and uh, he went he went to an HBCU, a historic black college university, and he got his undergrad from uh, Alabama A&M, you know, but he got his master's in engineering from LSU, Louisiana State University, you know. Um, so I, I think – I don't think that is, is – I mean, with the exception of going to an Ivy League school like a Harvard or Yale or something like that, you know, I would say wherever you're at, you know, just focus on graduating from the school, get your undergrad, you know, because with that experience, you're going to be able to apply it somewhere constructively, you know, to do some good. And then then you put yourself in a position to go further, you know, as far as getting a master's degree or PhD. So would you say that's probably me being a little bit pessimistic on the view that I have that you're looking at? It's probably me as an adult now looking at it from the, probably the downsides of competing at the, the top end at collegiate level, but then realizing I've always kind of been through the process and you kind of have that, not self-doubt, but kind of thing, well, if I'd have gone down this route as opposed to that, you know what is it's interesting that you use that word uh pessimistic, but you know, listening to philosophers and, and uh getting more in tune with stoic philosophy, I would be inclined to just say the de- depressive realism, you know, because it could depend where you are regionally or ge- geographically in terms of like you know, like you being in England, you know, the the social dynamics might be different as far as like what school you go to and dig and get a degree from as far as the opportunities that come with, uh, 
jobs after that or getting into like the corporate world or having opportunities. So I can, I can definitely understand where you're coming from, you know, but if, if, if all, if all of you have is a few opportunities, then, you know, we have to make the best of where we wind up at. You know, if our skill level says I'm going to an obscure division two or division three college, then we have to make the most of that, you know, from an academic standpoint. And you can, you can see where, where social intelligence comes in, where you have to be savvy as far as being able to meet people, you know, getting out of like your, your region, whether, and this is even outside of academics, you know, and with the for, the fortunate thing about us, you know, that that's good and bad is, is we have the social media so you can connect faster with people, you know, and you can set up meetings just like we're talking virtually right now you know, 10 or 15 years ago, this wouldn't have happened, you know, maybe, maybe even five to seven years ago, you know, we, we could argue that, but it, you know, maybe I'm in London sometime or I'm in Paris or I'm, I'm closer to you and we already have a rapport and, you know, the beauty of podcasting, you know, I, w- I was just telling, you know, one of my clients, you know, the mom, I'm like, I really love podcasting. You know, I think it's going to open some doors that I can't see right now because I've heard of other stories. You know, I, I don't know. I, I love doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. It's already opened up opportunities for me to connect with people like you. I've interviewed PhDs, uh, teachers, uh, man, coaches, athletes, you know, and a, an array of people. And I, and, I, and I really like it. Well, it's it's interpersonal. It's 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 it's. I think it's one way for you to uh, connect on and connect with people in the same what be industry, same kind of like minded think like minded people and like minded th- the way they think. Yeah, I w- I, w- I would say. You know, going going back to some of what we said earlier, it's like if if you're if you're a student athlete, if you're a sports parent or a coach listening to this, the the having social intelligence and understanding emotional intelligence is really key to really understanding your athlete or putting yourself in a place to be successful. And again, I said, you know those things that we do socially that can either enhance or impede our success. You go to a party, a girl's drinking, you have sex with her. The next day she says rape. Maybe she consented at the party, but she was on alcohol or drugs. At the end of the day, it's still rape. Still date rape is still rape. And you might've thought that you were having fun, but your education, your athletic career is pretty much over at that point. And one of the things that I encourage, you know, um, especially the guys that I work with and the females, you know, don't be the girl drinking at the party. You see the girl drinking at the party, you know, uh, drinks in her hand. I think you should leave, you know, because you don't even want to be around a situation like that or have your name in the pot for being there because there's the stigma that comes with that. Or you could be the kid that uh, you're with your buddies, you get pressured to jump in the car to go joyriding, and then it turns out it's a stolen car, you know, and you find yourself in jail or kicked off the team. You know, these are things that just happen every day. Or the kids that just constantly smoke weed, 
You know, they get two, three, and four chances, and then eventually coaches just have to kick them off the team, you know, because they, they gave them multiple opportunities. But it's like what I explain to kids, if, if you're not the person who does these things and I explain these scenarios, I can guarantee you it's going to play out with somebody else. And you could be an average athlete and you could be struggling, but if you just wait and keep doing the work that you need to do on a day in and day out basis on the practice field, in the classroom, eventually you will get an opportunity. And it's not that we wish bad on anybody. It's just like you, you can look at statistics, you know, um, what the popular drugs over here are the, like, what is it? Like the, 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 the Xanax, the, they have the, uh, the Molly's or what, all these different drugs that you hear about in rap songs. And when, once you start hearing them in mainstream, it's only natural that it's going to trickle down to the college campus and it will trickle down to the athletes. And it'll always be one, two or a handful of kids that get caught up because, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's, you just look at the numbers. So I tell my kids, you know, if you can be that person that stays on a straight and narrow, I can promise you, you're going to be successful. But these are the things socially that you can do that will hold you back. For instance, um, Dr. Harry Edwards, he did a, uh, he has a PhD in sociology. He's done a lot of work with the 49ers in the past, but he predicted in the late seventies that the NFL will one day would draft a murderer because he could see, you know, he could just look at statistics of murders going up. And he was like, eventually you guys, at first he said, y'all are going to draft drug addicts. And then eventually one day you will draft a murderer, you know? And that was like, uh, he predicted, I don't know if you've heard of the Lamb Bias story. He was a guy drafted out of, out of college in the eighties. And then he OD'd on crack cocaine or on cocaine. You know, I forget the details, but Dr. Edwards, he predicted that way before it happened. And then he predicted the, um, I think the guy for the Carolina Panthers, I forget his name, but he ended up killing his wife. And that, that was something that Dr. Edwards predicted years before. And that was just from him looking at the data of the, of, of like what goes on in our population. And, you know, on a simple level for us, we know people are partying that aren't athletes and just in general society, you know, and eventually it, it comes, it comes to the college campus. But I think I think you talk about the straight and narrow that just shown. I think if I use myself as the example, you say those circumstances are going to arise. I think if it wasn't for sport, I could have been one of those statistics. Yes, it could have been way worse. And and um, don't get me wrong here, because I, I've 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 been like the binge drinker on the weekends. You know, I, I've I've partied on ecstasy. You know, I smoked weed on on the college campus, and I know that those are things that held me back. And one thing I know for sure that I tell all of my athletes: you might think that you're partying or having fun, and the coaches don't know. They know everything. They always find out. You know. Well, it's probably even even more so to this day because you've got the smartphones, yes, and all that. So it's gonna it's gonna become uh, to light a lot quicker as well. Yeah, well, in, in, you know, I've explained to kids over here. You know, I don't know what it's like <clears throat> over there, but I tell kids what you put on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. 
you could say something, you could show yourself partying, doing something silly. I've seen kids get their scholarships revoked because of that. Because again, it comes back to, you know, when you sign a scholarship, you're signing a letter of intent and then you're signing an agreement. So it's two different things. And then there's wording in there that says, if you do this, we can take back our scholarship. And all the things that you can do on social media can rescind that agreement and put you in a place to where you're going home and you're looking for another opportunity that may come or may not. You know, so we talk about those things. And even, and even to the point of who are you friending or who do you follow? You know, because, the, you know, again, what we're talking about in sports mastery outside of like the sports psychology and the mental toughness is leadership development and character development. So who are you putting yourself around or who are you associating yourself with, you know, can put you in a position that can harm you or not or take away an opportunity that you probably didn't even see. Well, I can't remember what that, that analogy is. is. You are the makeup of the five people you surround yourself with, isn't it? That's correct. I would agree. So it's probably, they probably, well, from a, they're probably in, not in hindsight, but probably subconsciously, like you said, with the social media, they don't realize by those actions they take. It's, whereas at the, oh, we could call it the grown-up level, they'll del- delve into as much information as to find the character of that individual. You know, one thing I found, James, is that, you know, with my sports mastery program and talking about the things that we're discussing here today is that the earlier that we can start talking to athletes about these things, and I'm talking like maybe sixth, seventh, eighth grade, the earlier, what I found is the more it really heightens their chances of succeeding. And I, I can say for sure, the kids that I started working with, I have a group of athletes, they'll be juniors this fall, but I started working with them when they were seventh graders, you know, so even, even from a sports performance standpoint, you know, they understand the difference between powerlifting and Olympic lifting. They know what hinging the hip means, you know, and different progressions of, of Olympic lifting, you know, and they, they excel their peers that haven't been introduced to these things and mechanics properly but even on discussing like the social and psychological dynamics of being a student athlete, they're doing great in school now, you know? So that, that's been my experience. Whereas you get a kid in like maybe the 10th or 11th grade, if you have some bad habits that in, are, that have been ingrained for so long, I'm not there, there are exceptions, but I found it can be quite difficult to undo or change their thought process, you know, or their mindset. You know, so I, I think it's it's when we when we talk about sports and the athletes saying that they want to go further or talent being recognized, you know, you know, that definitely has to be enhanced. But enhancing them as a person, you know, it has to be enhanced, too, and definitely considered. Do you think it comes down to developing the young athlete and giving them to, the t- tools to succeed at the next level and kind of giving the, the behind the scenes look up? what it's going to take to compete at the next level. 
Yeah, and I, and I think it has to be done strategically in a way that's not overwhelming. So introducing things, just, just like in uh, our athletic training, introducing things in degrees and stages, you know, at a time. And it, and it might be, you know, like these conversations can really start off as five-minute conversations, you know, because you, you, you can't expect a seventh grader to pick up everything, you know, but you can ask them a simple question like, what do you think it's going to be? Why, why should you play if, you, if you're at practice late every day? Why am I going to play you? Or what do you think it takes, you know, to play at the college level? You know, and then that, that can stimulate them to go do some research or what does your SAT have to be and your GPA to get into a school like uh, Stanford, you know, or a school like University of Oregon. So then it stimulates them to go do some research and then we go further. And, and it all depends on, you know, each, as you know, each athlete is different. Each, all of their situations are different. And that's the beauty of working with athletes because, you know, we're problem solvers. You know, and that's what we're trying to do is solve problems and help them to the best of our ability. And my final question to Sean before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? I I, I would say what we've been saying before is that you have to understand, be willing to be open and learn about self-awareness understanding your feelings, what makes you tick, you know, so understanding your thoughts, understanding what makes you feel a certain way, because a lot of people say they make, they might respond to their feelings, but it's really our thoughts. It's what we think about every day, because the thoughts are what creates the feelings, and then the feelings will make us act or react, you know, so depending on the situation that we're in, we got it. We got how our thinking is going to affect the way we act. So that that's the biggest thing that I could say. I know it's very simple, but it's, it's actually, you know, something to really ponder. You know, it's the things that we think about every day or how we view and experience. So once again, Deshaun, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Oh, thank you, James. I, I've had a wonderful time uh, being on here. I, I really appreciate your questions and you taking the time to have me on. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.